Good morning to each one. Do want to welcome our visitors here with us. It's amazing to me how long two weeks is. We, part of my wife and part of our family were in Ohio last week, so we only missed one Sunday, but it seems like a long time. And it's good to be gathered together here again. Last weekend, we were privileged to be in Ohio at my, my wife's parents' place, but it was a, a gathering. It was the 20-year anniversary of Maranatha 2003, third term. Um, and so someone had the idea that those of us that could make that work to get together and it was a, a very blessed time. That, that was a good year that my wife and I were both there that year, and so we were, we were both included in that, that group. I think there were 11 of us and, and our families able to make it. Ruth and Gustavo were there as well. And it was a blessing that the, we've, we all are walking different paths of, of service and, and where life finds us. But those of us there, it was a, a very much of a blessing to get together with people, some of whom we had not seen. I had not heard from the one sister for 20 years. And to see God's hand at work and the faithfulness of those of us that were there. There are several that have walked away from the Lord but a blessing to see faithfulness and encouragement. We had a lot of good discussions, um, a very inspiring time together. My wife and I also were able to go down to the, the visitation of the family of, of Olin Schrock, Ruth's father, so appreciate being able to have that, that be able to make that happen while we were in Ohio and just run down to Indiana for that. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Nehemiah. For a message this morning. The last time I preached here, we looked at the book of Ezra and... Continuing the, the thought of, of God working in, in his people and those that return from captivity. There's a lot more time span covered in the book of Ezra than there is this. The, the book of Nehemiah follows about 12 years after Ezra. So in the time scale, I don't have the board here to point that out. But the first, from Nehemiah, the first return under Zerubbabel had taken place about 90 years earlier. It's a long time. The temple was completed about 70 years before this. And 
I just was sitting in Sunday school and listening to the discussion and mind going a lot of different places with the, the verses and thoughts that are brought up. And, and it was amazing how many times my mind went to Nehemiah as we were looking at Hebrews. And the connectedness of, of the scripture and, and so many things intertwined. And just a, a blessing that is. For a title, I'd like to, to use the following. Zeal according to knowledge. Now that you may, you may notice that that is not a quotation from scripture. Because in Romans... Paul says that they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. But here, as I studied this book in, in the life of, of Nehemiah, I would like to think of, of this, zeal according to knowledge. I'd like to go ahead and read part of chapter 1 here. Actually, go ahead and read chapter 1 at this time. Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept, and mourned certain days, and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments, let, now, let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now, day and night, for the children of Israel, thy servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress... I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now these are thy servants and thy people, whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name. And prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, a man of position. Uh, it seems kind of strange for a Jew to be that close in that 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 position to a, a foreign king. I think it tells us something about his character. 
And he evidently had been thinking about those that returned to Jerusalem. And so when he had a chance, he asked, how are things? And he got some knowledge. He got a firsthand account. Things are not well. Yes, the temple had been reconstructed, but there's reproach. Things are not thriving. The people are, are discouraged. And it came to pass, he says, when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. This is something that gripped his heart and it set him on a course of action. It stirred him. It stirred him to action. And he goes before the king. And I'm not going to read a lot of, of the verses. I've tried to, to, to tell a lot of the story here for the sake of time and perhaps make it a little more interesting. But he comes before the king and the king sees that he is sad. And the king says, what's wrong? Because this person usually is not to be sad in the presence of the king. But he says, how can I be happy when the city, and here again, if we remember talking about the thing of, of ethnicity and what it meant, the land that these people came from, he said, the city, my heritage, the people there are are struggling, the city, the graves of my ancestors, it's, it's uh, in disarray. How can I be happy? And so the king granted him, verse 8 of chapter 2 says, And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. I see that theme is his faith in God and how he attributes that to the success that he has. The king told him, go. He had gave him a time, um, and the king said, go. Here are the letters that you request, that you can get the, the wood, the things that you need to rebuild the wall. So they came, Nehemiah and, and some men with him, they came to Jerusalem. He went around, he observed the city, he saw how it really was. And then he told them, he says, I told them of the hand of my God which was good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. And they said, the nobles, the leaders there in Jerusalem, they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Nehemiah was able to, to bring encouragement to these people. Yes, he brought finances, he brought some materials, but I think it was more his zeal to see Jerusalem repaired that was a catalyst to make things happen. Now, there were those there, Sanballat and Tobiah, some names that most of us are familiar with. They were unhappy. They said they did not want to see Jerusalem prosper. But they came and they, they raised up some concerns and they tried to, to stop them. They laughed them to scorn. But verse 20 of chapter 3 says, Then answered I them and said unto them, excuse me, that's chapter 2, verse 20. 
the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion nor right nor memorial in Jerusalem. So the people worked diligently. They got to work. And it gives a list of how everybody worked. And they each took a section of the wall and they worked. And in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. Now this wasn't as extensive as it originally was. But the portion that they decided that needed done, they got at it and they worked. And I, I give that, a lot of that, like I said, I, I put on Nehemiah as his, his fervor for seeing Jerusalem restored. And he was able to inspire those around him. But there was a lot of opposition. Not only were Sanballat and Tobiah, they had given some opposition. But here they came, they saw what was going on in, in chapter 4. I'd like to read a few verses. And it came to pass when Sanballat heard that we build the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, Even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. What do you think this was? What, what were they trying to do? Trying to discourage the people. Make fun of them. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised, and turn their reproach upon their head, upon their own head, and give them for a prey into the land of captivity. Cover not their iniquity, and let not their sin be blotted out from before thee. For they have provoked thee to anger before the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together into the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. It goes on to say they continued to face the opposition of, of these other men. And it was to the point where they had to station guards. Some of the workers even had to carry weapons because of the threat. But in verse 9, it says, Nevertheless, we made our prayer unto our God and set a watch against them day and night because of them. Again, they turned to God. They said, God, this is your work. You have to, you have to protect us. You have to bless us. We need your blessing. And going to verse 19 of chapter 4. As I said, they were all spread out all over this wall. And here was what Nehemiah said. Actually, verse 18. For the builders, everyone had his sword girded by his side and so builded. And he that sounded the trumpet was by me. And I said unto the nobles and to the rulers and to the rest of the people, The work is great and large, and we are separated upon the wall one from another. In what place thereof ye hear the sound of the trumpet, resort ye thither unto us. Our God shall fight for us. He had a plan to bring all the people together. Yes, the people were spread out, each working in their own place. But he had a plan that they could all rally around each other if the need arose. 
Continuing there, verse 21. So we labored in the work. Half of them held spears from the rising of the morning till the stars appeared. Likewise, at the same time, said I unto the people, Let every one with his servant lodge within Jerusalem, so that in the night they may be a guard to us and labor on the day. So neither I nor my brethren nor my servants nor the men of the guard which followed me, none of us put off his clothes, saving that every one put them off for washing. Do you see some zeal here? They were dedicated and committed to making this happen. In the midst of this rebuilding, there were grievances brought to Nehemiah. He was the governor, was appointed governor. And in chapter 5, there was a, a great cry of the people. It involved those of of more means and nobility perhaps, taking advantage of those that did not have as much and were oppressed, actually to the point of selling some of them into slavery. And this, in uh, chapter 5, verse 6, Nehemiah says, And I was very angry when I heard their cry in these words. He became aware of what was happening. He had knowledge, and it, it moved him to action. He did something about it. He talked to the nobles and the rulers, and he, he had reprimanded them greatly. And he said, you know, I have even bought some of my own people out of slavery, and here you are selling them. You need to fear God. And they promised to... To restore the things, they took an oath that they would, they would reverse their position. And in verse 13 of chapter 4, it says, Also, I shook my lap. I'm guessing he took his skirt, robe, and he shook it. Now, imagine if you were sitting there and you had a handful of gravels sitting in your lap in a skirt. And you would take and lift it and shake it. What would happen to those gravels? They would be scattered. And he says, So God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that he labor that performeth not this promise. Even thus be he shaken out and emptied. And all the congregation said, Amen, and praised the Lord. And the people did according to this promise. I just want us to think about the faithfulness of Nehemiah when he had knowledge of things that needed to be corrected or done. Not only that, he was, he was generous. It records here in chapter 5 that he did not eat the bread of the governor. Now, I think what this means is he, as a governor, had the right to tax the people for his own provisions. He did not do that. It reminds me of, of Paul when he says, I, I could have demanded or, or requested at least that you... You provided for my needs as I preached, but he said, I didn't do that. I provided for myself. And here we have that Nehemiah cared for the people and did not extract from them or exact from them what was rightfully his. But as they continued to work, these men attempted again to discourage him. 
And in chapter 6, they invited him to come out and have a meeting. Let's talk about this. Why are you rebuilding this wall? And I am, I don't know, it, it was a terrible rough situation, but Nehemiah, there's almost some humor in it because he says, what are you trying to do? I know that you're, you're, just, you're just trying to distract me. And it says that four times they sent letters saying, come, let's have a meeting together. And they would, he said, I, I'm not going to go. But in all this, in verse 9 of chapter 6, he reaches out to God again for strength. He says, Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. His desire to fulfill his calling. But right after this, there came unto the, in verse 10, chapter 6 says, And afterward I came unto the house of Shemei, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahedabiel, who was shut up. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night they will come to slay thee. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there that, being as I am, would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And lo, I perceived that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced this prophecy against me, for Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Therefore he was hired that I should be afraid and do so and sin, and they might have a matter for an evil report. They might reproach me. Continuing in verse 15. So the wall was finished in the twenty and fifth day of the month Elul in fifty-two days. And it came to pass, when all our enemies heard thereof, and all the heathen that saw that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that this work was of God. This work was of God. Following this in chapter 8, probably one of the most familiar passages that we have in Nehemiah. After the people gathered, had built the wall, I think, I think this was a tremendous witness, not only to the heathen, but also to the people of, Jer of Jerusalem and, and those living, there actually weren't many living in the city, living out around. But they saw what God did. This was a tremendous undertaking. And they have a response to this. In chapter 8, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they made for the purpose, and beside him lifts a number of men that stood. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, 
for he was above the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. They bowed their heads, they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, another, this list of the Levites calls the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites stilled all the people, saying, Hold your peace, for the day is holy. Neither be ye grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to make great mirth, because they had understood the words that had been declared unto them. It appears here that the people actually said, we want to hear the law. This wasn't, okay, y'all got to get together, we're going to read the law. It was the people came and said, we want to know. And Ezra brought the, the book of the law and, and those that were with him, and they helped the people to understand. This was, I want to say, 90 years since they had come back. We think it's important that we read the scriptures frequently, that we're taught. How much of this was, did the people not know? How much was ignorance? And we see here that they desired to know. And then it affected them. They were, they, I don't think they were sure quite what to do with this. Because they, they, were, they were glad to hear the law, but they were also, it brought them to the sense of their undoneness. But they said, because you know, it's a time for, for rejoicing. It's a time, be glad that you have the law. And it says that there was, there was a lot of rejoicing and feasting. But then the second day, they're gathered together, the, the chief, the leaders, and they, as they studied, they realized that they were supposed to keep the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. I believe it's what it was called as well. And it's to remind them of their days of wandering in the wilderness. And so they published and proclaimed in all their cities in Jerusalem, Go to the mountains and bring back your branches. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booth, booths, everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the gate of the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim. And all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. And there was very great gladness. I think they had a church camp out. What do you say? They had knowledge. They realized in their study that they were omitting something God had commanded. And they took it, upon, took it seriously and they acted. And it brought gladness. 
I believe it was a, a time of, of great joy. And in chapter 9, this would have been later on in that month because that happened in the first couple days, but in the 24 and 20th day of the month, they were assembled with fasting and sackcloths and earth upon them. Chapter 9, verse 2, And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all the strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God one-fourth part of the day, and another fourth part they confessed, and worshipped the Lord their God. Then stood upon the stairs of the Levites Jeshua, and Bani, and Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chaniah, Chenani, and cried with a loud voice before the Lord their God. And I give some more names. And they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. Thou preservest them all, and the hosts of heaven worshipeth thee. And then they went down and they recounted their history from Abraham all the way up to their, to their current day. And it says that they were standing here confessing their sins. And a large part of their history was when people were unfaithful. Their forebears. The time of the judges, especially. And it goes through, I'm not going to take the time to read that. But I'm going to start here in, in verse 26. But I would, I would point out this. In their iteration, the theme that comes through is God's faithfulness, our failure, God's justice to our unfaithfulness, and then God's mercy. In verse 26, Nevertheless, they were disobedient, and rebelled against thee, and cast thy law behind their backs, and slew thy prophets, which testified against them to turn to thee. And they wrought great provocations. Therefore thou deliverest them into the hand of their enemies who vexed them. And in the time of their trouble, when they cried unto thee, thou heardst them from heaven. And according to thy manifold mercies, thou gavest them saviors who saved them out of the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies, so that they had the dominion over him. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And many times thou didst thou deliver them according to thy mercies. And testifiest against them, that thou mightest bring them again unto thy law. Yet they dealt proudly, and hearkened not unto thy commandments, but sinned against thy judgments. Which, if a man do, he shall live in them. And withdrew the shoulder, and hardened the neck, and would not hear. Yet many years didst thou forbear them, and testified against them by the Spirit and thy prophets. Yet they would not hear, not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the hand of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them. For thou art a gracious and merciful God. 
Verse 33, Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, and we have done wickedly. And they say, and, and because of this, we're in the situation we're in. We're slaves, as it were. They were still under the dominion of Persia. But in verse 38, it says, And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. So this knowledge, this understanding where they were, how disobedience and failure to follow the law brought God's judgment upon them, and it brought them to the place where they were willing to make a covenant that they were going to keep the law. It says, our princes, our leaders, Levites and priests, seal unto it. And if you go to verse 10, or chapter 10, it lists the men that actually signed that, that covenant. But then in verse 28 of chapter 10, it says this. It wasn't just the leaders. It says, and the rest of the people... The priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, and everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his judgments and his statutes. Knowledge brought about zeal to follow God. And I'll just summarize this covenant was no intermarrying with the heathen, keeping the Sabbath, not buying or selling, not letting anyone come in to sell to them, observing the, the, the sabbatical year or the, the fallow every seven years and, and not exacting debts that were due then, and also providing for the upkeep and service of the temple. They were serious about this. And they bound themselves by a curse and an oath to follow the law. And briefly, we'll come back to that. But following this, there's a dedication of the wall and it was a, a memorable, memorable event with lots of singing in chapter 12 verse 27 says the dedication of the wall they sought out the Levites and they brought them they had cymbals and harps and psalteries. And it was a great group. Now imagine with me that this auditorium is the city of Jerusalem. The wall is around. So they formed, it says, two great companies. Uh, some versions say choirs because there were lots of singers. It's interesting that singing or singers... Singers are mentioned 16 times in the book of Nehemiah. And Asaph comes up, who he was the, the one that David appointed, and his descendants were the singers. They were responsible for the music, the singing. But they came, the one group came to the, to the calls it the, 
I think it was the dung gate, and they went up the steps. The others came on the other side, about halfway back, and they went along the wall, and they met back at the temple. So it was quite a procession. And then when they got back there in verse 40 of chapter 12, so stood the two companies of them that gave thanks in the house of God, and I and half of the rulers with me. In verse 43, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The wives also and the children rejoiced. It wasn't just a bunch of old men. This was a, a family effort. They rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard even afar off. And then we have chapter 13. And I don't think the time frame is, is very, real certain, but it's within 20 years of when Ezra's reforms were implemented that we looked about last, last time of, of purging the people for their marriages from the heathen. I believe that in this time, Nehemiah had actually returned to Babylon after 12 years. He, he was in Jerusalem for 12 years, and then he went back. And then he came back to Jerusalem. And this may have taken place, some of the things that follow in his absence, but it kind of breaks in here, and it just says, chapter 13, And on that day they read in the book of Moses, and there was found written, that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation forever. I'll go ahead and read a few more verses. Because they met not with the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Howbeit our God turned the curse into blessing. Now it came to pass when they heard the law that they separated from Israel all the mixed multitude. And before this, Eliashib the priest, having oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber. Did you ever hear that name Tobiah before? He was one of the key enemies trying to thwart the building of the wall. And here Eliashib, who was the priest, likely the high priest, had made him a chamber in the courts of God, in the courts of, of the house of God. It was a storeroom that he had converted. In verse 6 it says, But in all this time was I not at Jerusalem, for in the two and thirtieth year of King Artaxerxes came unto the king, and after certain days I obtained leave of the king. And that's when he went back. But in verse 8 it says, And it grieved me sore about Tobiah having a chamber. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. I'm going to go ahead and read just down through, make a few, pull out a few more things as, as we're looking here in this chapter. And then I'll come back to this. But they had, had given Tobiah a place above the, the necessary service of the temple. In verse 11 it says, Then contended I with the rulers. What I'm looking about here is the zeal of Nehemiah when he found out what was going on in his short absence. 
He contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? If we go down a little bit further, in verse 15, it says, He saw those treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in sheaves. Also, those of Tyre were, were selling fish. In verse 17, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said, What evil thing is this that ye do? This is why we're in, we went to captivity, because of profaning the Sabbath. Verse 21, then I testified against them. Well, let's, let's back up. He tells the doorkeepers to shut the gates so that no one can come in on the Sabbath. And it says, so the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. He was serious about this. We must respect the Lord. And then there were those yet that had married wives of Ashdod and Ammon and Moab. And I contended with them. They had just signed a covenant within the last 15 years. And they failed to keep it. Verse 28, And one of the sons of Joadah, the son of Eliashib the high priest, was son-in-law to Sanballat. Ever heard that name before? He was his son-in-law. Therefore I chased him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and of the priests. Thus cleansed I them from all strangers and appointed the wards of the priests and Levites, everyone in his business, and for the wood offering at appointed times and for the fruits. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. I know the time is up, but I have a few more things here to wrap up. I had to think about, about this And trying to make a practical application, thinking about Tobiah, he was a known and could, some would say you know, a sworn enemy. He was, he was adamantly against the furtherance of Jerusalem, and yet he was linked in with the high priests and the nobles. And they even allowed him, perhaps was invited into the temple compound. And I had to think, what are the things that we that we know are harmful, that we know are, are, are going to ruin our Christian life, our walk with the Lord. We can look around and see that those, those things, what they've done to others, we can read in the scripture. But we allow ourselves, we convince ourselves that it's okay. And maybe times change and we think, well, they're not going to be harmful to us anymore. And just one, one very, one thing that I, that I thought of 
is, is a, the application of, of, the, of principles. We, we heard about that the other week, and I'd like to, to look at that more sometime. But, you know, our, our fathers, our forebears, raised a standard against TV, television. What's television? Because it, they saw it be detrimental. Do we watch TV? I don't have one of those boxes, those, those big, big boxes in my house. But I do have a little, a little bitty thing with a flat screen that I can watch TV. You see, movies, we can watch whatever. Maybe if it's a phone. I just say, think about things that, that we know. And, and there's, there's broad application that I don't have, have time and was not able to, to think it through. But I just want us to take that here in the life of, of Tobiah and, and Eliashib and how things that were known to be detrimental were allowed in. Made allowance for. What have we invited in that in the past time has proven detrimental? And lastly here, just thinking again about Nehemiah. He was a man of position. He had everything he could have asked for, likely there in Susa, the palace. He stepped out of his, of his comfort zone to help his fellow Jews. And with his leadership and his zeal, much was accomplished to strengthen Jerusalem and to bring the law into the people's experience, put to practice the knowledge of the law. And I would just like us to take courage from this man of God. I believe that his his firmly settled faith in God and, and the actions that prove that faith enabled him to be an effective leader. So often, I find in my own experience, I have knowledge, but maybe I lack the zeal. There's many things we study the scriptures. We have so much knowledge, but perhaps... We don't apply the knowledge we have. And I, I want to encourage myself and challenge myself and each of you to put to practice the knowledge that you have. When you become aware of something, to act on it, to be faithful, to have zeal according to knowledge. Well, thank you for your attention and for your prayers. Let's stand together for closing prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures that give us the history of, of you working with your people. And for the, the witness of faithful men, we thank you for this, the study of Nehemiah and his faithfulness to, to you, his dependence on you, his faith in you. Not attributing what was accomplished to his own doing, but to your hand at work. And for his being willing to apply himself to the hard things that came into his experience to do what he knew was right and what you had called him to. And Lord, I pray that you would take this study and, and these words and, and work in the hearts of each one here. A desire, a zeal to be faithful, to be fruitful, 
to put to practice the things we know and to be discerning. There are things that would be detrimental to our, to our walk, to our relationship with you, that we would be on guard and we would purge those things from our experiences, that we can be holy before you. Thank you for this congregation. I pray you would bless each one here with a special portion of your grace. And may your joy be our strength today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Love.